I am now cool. Look what I got for my birthday. Now, I hope you moved up. Some of you don't even know what I'm holding here. It's not an iPhone. It's an iPod Touch. And like the iPhone, this thing has a screen. Basically, this is a music player. And uh, I can call up my songs and I can play them. I can put probably more songs than I own on this thing. And uh, it's cool. But it's not just a music player. I've had a music player for years. But this thing has this touch screen. And so there's these little icons up here. And I can touch this one. And if I'm, if I'm in a place where I can connect to the Internet, then it automatically connects to a Wi-Fi connection, and it tells me the weather. Or I can touch this one, and uh, it says checking for mail, so it's updating my email. And I can uh, scroll through there, just flip this thing, and the emails go through. Here's one from Laura. I can just click on there and slide it over, and she wants to know something about Wednesday night. Just amazing. But what really gets me about this thing, besides the great music and all the little doodads, I can get directions off of it, uh, you know, how to go somewhere, get the time of day, I can write myself notes, there's a calculator, there's a clock, it says its uh, battery is low and it's about to quit. Uh, <clears throat> but what really amazes me about this thing is the screen, because you can touch this screen where it says Gmail and it opens up my mail. And then if I touch it in that same spot again, it'll do something different. It'll open up that particular email. Or if I flick it like this, it'll roll through all the, all the emails I have. It's just astonishing to me how these things work. Uh, you may have something with a touch screen. They've been around for a while, but it just floors me. To me, it's a mystery. How does that work? How does it do that? I could see pressing one button there and it doing something, but all these multiple applications, it's just a mystery. And look how thin that thing is. Better put it in my pocket so somebody doesn't walk off with it here. It's a mystery to me, but it's not a true mystery. Because probably some of you technologically savvy people could explain, well, Steve, here's how it works. Somebody knows how it works. Somebody at Apple invented this thing and put it together, and they could completely explain to us, here's how it works. It's not a genuine mystery. But I would like to talk to you this morning about mystery. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, as as we begin this Advent season, I forgot to bring it with me. How many of you have a bulletin or you have a card in the bulletin? It's got the picture of that, that door on it with a keyhole. You see that on the front of your bulletin? Thank you, Ted. You see this picture? This is really our theme for this year. Enter the mystery of Christmas. And I've been thinking about mystery. And I've been through lots of Christmases. We've all been through lots of Christmases. Oh, it's Christmas again. But this year, I said to myself, Stephen, rather than talking about how to enjoy Christmas or how to be more loving at Christmas or how to have Christmas joy, Christmas hope, you know the litany. I'm not going to talk about that stuff. I decided, you know, why don't I kick back? Why don't we pretend like we're in a river on a raft and we're just going to float down through the season and enter the mystery of Christmas? Let's just see what happens this Christmas. So I want to invite you into this theme, Enter the Mystery of Christmas. Advent is a time of anticipation. Just like uh, when you go fishing, you bait the hook, and you throw the line in the water, and that line sinks to the bottom, and you wait. You anticipate a little tug on the line, and you're going to pull it in and reel in that fish. Anticipation. Why not go through this Advent season with anticipation? What might happen? What might God say to me? Advent is a time of expectation where we really do believe God will come. God will speak. Just like a pregnant mother might uh, 
have expectation, so too might we. Or Advent is also a time not only of preparation and expectation, but uh, anticipation that God is going to do something special in our lives. Anticipation. Now, this morning, um, or some morning this year, we will sing the song, A Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices, For Yonder Breaks a New and Glorious Morn. And today I want to invite you at this first Sunday of Advent to begin to explore to begin to anticipate, to begin to prepare, and let's together enter the mystery we call Christmas. Now, each Sunday, I'm going to have a word for you. And this Sunday, the word is wait. Now, it's not like I'm asking you to get on the scales and weigh yourself. What do you, what's your weight? You know, the long word, weight. Uh, I know after turkey dinner and all, you might have stepped on the scales and said, what is my weight? We're not talking about that kind of weight. Relax. I'm talking about the four-letter word, wait, W-A-I-T, wait. What does it mean for us to wait? Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the word listen. Enter the mystery of Christmas, listen. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's come back to the word wait. What does it mean to enter the Christmas mystery and wait? Now, in your um, pew rack ahead of you, there is a Bible. And... You need your Bible today. I'd like you to pull that out if you don't mind. Or if you brought a Bible, use your own. And we want to look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's on page, I think, 58, 59, somewhere in the New Testament, towards the right side of your Bible. And you probably realize a doctor, Dr. Luke, wrote this, and he was writing to a friend to tell him some news, what he had discovered. And in Luke chapter 2, on page 58... It says there in italics, the birth of Jesus. And as you scan over those verses, you see in seven verses, we are told that this baby is born. Actually, his name's not yet given at this point. Now, it's interesting to me, Dr. Luke, an educated man for his day, is writing what we now call a gospel. There are over a thousand verses in Luke's gospel. How much time would he spend on telling the birth of this baby? Seven verses out of a thousand. The economy is amazing here. Now, in the last verse, verse 7, Luke 2, 7, he, he wraps it all up. We still haven't been told the baby's name. And he says, and she, of course, we know that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room or no place for them in the inn. The mystery's already started. Your mind is racing. Well, what on earth happened? What was going on there? The mystery has begun. Now, before I go further, I need to remind us, as I was reminded in studying this week, at the time this happens in Jewish history, the Jews had actually not heard from the Lord for 400 years. For 400 years, there had been no prophets. For 400 years, there had been no writing of Scripture. There had been 400 years of essential silence from God. And now we read this first story, and in Luke chapter 2, there are three vignettes, or three stories, and each story has a saying. In each story, there's a, there's a word comes forth that's very special, and that's why Luke is telling the story. He wants us to hear the word. In the first story, you know the story, so I'm not going to go over it with you, it's about the shepherds. Of course, they're outside at night, and the sky becomes bright, and the angels speak. There is now a word from the Lord. And you know what they say. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And there's this word that a baby's been born. And, of course, the shepherds 
hear the word and they obey the word and they go and see this child in the manger. First story. A word. A word from angels. The last story, if you don't mind skipping over to page 59, it says the boy Jesus in the temple. We start with a baby, an infant. He's born. The shepherds go see him. Now in this last story, Jesus is 12 years old, and you also know this story because Jesus has gone with his parents to the temple, and they leave, and he's not with them. And the mother becomes frantic. Mary wonders, where's Jesus? And so at the end of the story, she goes back. She's found her son, and it's that age-old parent dilemma. You know, I finally find this kid. Do I whip him and scold him for running off or getting lost, or do I just thank God that he's safe? You know, there's the tension. And you can see it even in Mary's words. She says, well, where on earth have you been? How could you do this to us? As though Jesus had, or kids ever, tried to do it to their parents. We just think it's all about us, don't we? Anyhow, Mary said, how could you do this to us? And Jesus looks up, he's in the temple, and he said, didn't you know And you want to read between the lines. How on earth could they know? Nobody knew. But he said, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? And so at the start, we have this word from angels. Now we actually have a word from this person himself, Jesus, who says, I'm going to be about my father's business. Now, in between these stories, in Luke chapter 2, is this story that begins in verse 25 that we read a moment ago. And it's the story about probably the two most overlooked people in the whole Christmas story. I don't know if that's a fact, but Simeon and Anna, you've heard their names, but we really don't know much about them, and we don't talk much about them this season. But here's the the second of these three stories, and I'd like to look at it with you for a moment, if you don't mind. In fact, I'd kind of like to get comfortable because I'm just going to be in the mystery of the moment and wait. Um, where were we? Well, we're in the temple, and uh, you're looking at that story, and it's a story of Simeon and Anna. And I would like for you to, to just kind of uh, get in a mood, sit up straight, and take a deep breath for a minute, would you? We're going to relax. Just kind of breathe in and hold it, okay? Let's breathe in. I'll just hold it there a second or two and slowly breathe out. Ah, feels good, huh? You just kind of relax. Breathe in, hold it a minute or two, and breathe out. Now, Dr. Luke, as I said, is telling a story, and uh, I'd like to share that story with you just briefly in my own words. The story begins in the temple courts, and there's a young couple coming in. They come in from the outer court, and they go through all those columns and uh, pillars that make up the temple, and as they begin to come in to the court, we want to watch them, and we want to listen, and we want to wait. Do you see them over there by the column? As they come along, they're coming in with their boy to dedicate him, much like we dedicated a baby last week. Do you see them over there? As they come in, they're not bringing a lamb to sacrifice, and they're not bringing a kid goat that they bought nearby, probably because they don't have any flocks, and they don't have any money to buy something that extravagant. They're carrying a pigeon. Costs no more than your lunch. And they're coming to sacrifice, and they're bringing this baby to the temple. So they enter the temple slowly, tentatively, not quite sure of what to do or where to go or who to see. And what is this? Do you see him coming across there? There's that old man. He's 
He's obviously in a hurry in the way old men get in a hurry as he shuffles across the temple floor. And as he comes toward us, you see him putting his arms out like this, like he's expecting something. And you can tell as he walks up to this young couple with his arms out like this that, why, I don't think she's ever seen him before. I think he's a stranger to them. And as we listen in, we can hear him say, I know, I know this sounds a wee bit strange, but may I hold your baby? And his, his arms are out like this, right in front of Mary. She's a young mother, first child. She's never had this encounter before. She's caught off guard. She doesn't know what to say. Later, she explains to Dr. Luke that probably she wouldn't have done that if she'd thought twice, but she didn't, and she just hands over the baby to this old, strange man. Can you see his eyes turn moist as they fill with water, and he looks down in the face of this child? A smile breaks out on his face that kind of lights up the whole room. The old man standing there with the brand new baby in his arms, grinning from ear to ear. Tears begin to streak down his cheeks. You see, the scripture says the old man's name is Simeon. And the scripture explains to us that he was righteous and devout, meaning he was a good man as God counts good. And he was devout, meaning he was loyal like a dog is loyal to the dog's master. He was a good man, and he was a devout man, a loyal man in the ways God counts goodness and loyalty. He'd been waiting a long time. He knew about waiting. In fact, he lived in a nation that knew about waiting. As I said, they'd been waiting 400 years for a word from the Lord. He had been waiting all his lifetime for a word from the Lord, from the consolation of Israel. Now, the Bible says that he had been waiting, quote, for the consolation of Israel. It's a word that means comfort, the comforting of Israel. He'd been waiting for God to do something that God had promised to do years, centuries before, and yet God hadn't done it. He'd been waiting for what Isaiah said in these words, Burst into song for joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. The Lord has redeemed Jerusalem. He'd been waiting for that moment when God would comfort Jerusalem and redeem God's people. We're also told the man was filled with the Holy Spirit. And on this particular day, the Spirit had nudged him, had moved him across the temple. You had to think about Simeon. I wonder as he got up each morning and went into the marketplace to buy food for the day, he looked around to wonder, is this the day? Are, is In this crowd, or is there someone out there that's going to be that person, the Messiah even, who will redeem Israel? As he weeded his garden, he waited and he wondered, when is God coming? As he went to temple each day or each week, he wondered, is, is this the day the Lord will come? Every day of his life, he waited and he wondered to see the Lord's salvation. So this day, like hundreds of days before, he walked into the temple, minded his own business, nodded to the folks he knew, said hello to the priests, went about his business. And then as he actually went inside the temple, something stirred within him. His heart beat faster, and he, it quickened him, and he, it seemed as though the Lord was saying, see that couple there, that young couple with the baby, do you see them? 
That's it. It's him. And he didn't blink for a moment, but he rushed towards the man and the mother and the baby, and he stuck out his arms and said, May I hold your baby? And she let him. And she let him. And his heart leapt for joy. The smile broke out on his face. He could hardly contain himself. And he began to speak. And this is the other word that Luke shares with us. We've heard a word from the angels. We've heard a word from Jesus. This is the word from the prophet Simeon. And it's found in verse 29 of chapter 2, where he says, Master, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Where is he looking? The little baby. Which you have prepared in the presence for all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And we're told that the father and mother were amazed. They wondered. They were astonished. It was mysterious to them. What on earth is going on? I mean, they'd already seen the shepherds come to visit the baby. Now this strange old character comes up and makes these words. And then he turns towards Mary and he looks her right in the eye and he says, This child, this baby, is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow. He had no sooner handed the baby back to Mary, gently placing Jesus back in her arms and slowly withdrawing his own. And he stepped a ways back to just gaze on the scene. And this poor young couple standing there stunned, stunned by having a baby to begin with, stunned by what happened in the temple. And as they stand there, before they get ready to leave, another old character comes up, and her name is Anna. And we are told she's 84 years old. She had had a rough beginning in life. Her husband had died and left her. And she spent her days fasting and praying, worshiping and waiting. And she comes up. And she blesses this couple, and she blesses the baby, and she tells them good things and says, Praise God, salvation has come to Israel. That day in the temple, Mary and Joseph entered the mystery of the very first Christmas. An old man whose name is Simeon, and means God hears, just like the name Samuel. God hears. And God heard Simeon. God heard God's people. God heard the world crying out for help. And then came Anna, and her name means grace. And she spoke grace to this couple, and she spoke that God's grace had come in the person of this little baby. Mystery. Could it be that waiting is actually a virtue? Could it be that it's a good thing to wait why is it so hard for me to wait? Why is it so hard for us to wait? Is it because we have a goal and we have to get where we're going? We have an image of a, sp a stoplight up here. Look at that stoplight. Let me just leave that up there for a moment. Next time you're at a stoplight, I hope that God, by the Spirit of God, puts into your head the mystery of Christmas and you think, oh, I'm supposed to wait. That's okay. I'm going to wait. And just see what happens. There's another picture of waiting that came to my mind. 
And I've never experienced this kind of waiting, but this is a mom who's waiting to give birth to her child. She's just hanging out, waiting, and dreaming of that wonderful day. What if we went through the mystery of Christmas just waiting and wondering for what God is going to do? Why is it so hard for us to wait? It is because we have a goal and we have to get where we're supposed to be, right? I mean, what good is life without a goal? Or so we're told. Don't let the grass grow under your feet so we rush on to somewhere. Let me ask you, does the Bible say, speed up and hurry on and you will find God? I don't think so. Our culture says that, but not the Bible. I wonder this season what we might see, like Simeon saw, if we just waited. Or what might we hear, like Anna and Simeon heard, if we just learned to wait? What if we valued the journey as much as the destination? What might that look like? What if we lived in the moment at the stoplight rather than in the morrow? I wish you'd turn green so I could go. Somebody wrote, and I can't say it as eloquently as they did, it was a Catholic priest who said, you know, I'm not against all the technology and the gadgets. I just wonder, with all the ways we're saving time, what are we doing with it? Ouch. Huh. I wonder what would happen if I, you too, really did see this as the most mysterious season of all seasons, and we just waited a bit more and worried a bit less. Could you actually do that this year? I don't know. It's a tough time of year, right? Could it be that we, like Simeon, might understand that God really does hear, and God really does come and comfort His people, if we waited Could it be that like old Anna, who just sat around fasting and praying, worshiping and waiting, could it be that like old Anna, we might actually see God's grace come in our lives if we waited? (laughs) We might even praise God like Anna. Who knows? Wouldn't that be a trip? So this year, I invite you to join me and enter the mystery of the season. Every time you see that little card that was mailed to you, that card you're going to take and hand out to others. Every time you see that, enter the mystery of Christmas in the keyhole. I hope you'll think, wait, it's okay. I might hear God. I might feel God's grace. Lay aside your complaining just for this season. Why not lay aside your complaining about the commercialization of Christmas? Don't worry about it. So what? Lay aside your cynicism about the secularization of this season. So what? Come on, enter the mystery of Christmas with me. Slip into the mystery like you slip into a pool on a hot summer day and just let the wonder of it all wash over you. Come on, come with me. Together, let's just enter the mystery of Christmas and wait. Can you wait? I'm going to ask you to wait right now. Just wait for a couple minutes. You might want to just breathe in and breathe out. You might want to bow your head. I'm going to ask you not to pray, not to talk to God. Just be quiet. Just listen. Just calm yourself and wait as we enter Christmas.